Welcome back to Voices from the Valley, where we meet and learn from the movers and the shakers in and around the Merrimack Valley. I am your host, John Bachman, and with me, as always, is our other host, Ben Talberg. John, how are you this morning? Man, if I was any better, it would be illegal. <laughs> I'm doing great. Is that right? It is. Well, hey, we just got back from a networking oh meeting this morning. Oh, my God, yeah. Right? Um, we had a packed room. A lot of people. Met a lot of cool people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the reasons I love doing this thing, is we're meeting a bunch of interesting people, but it's not just the regular run-of-the-mill that I may run into. It's mm-hmm. I'm meeting other business owners that I ordinarily might not meet, right? Yep. And that's one thing we talk about um, when we started this up, is getting to be able to meet those people, right? Right. Yeah. Today, we're getting to meet one of those people. Great. So today, we have with us... Anthony Tamacchio, who is the co-owner of Loaded and was the co-founder of Stacks. But more importantly than those two roles, Anthony, your husband to Katrina and your father and daddy to those three beautiful girls. Anthony, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks Good for coming in. Good yeah. to see you. Yeah. It, I know we're asking you to come in here awfully early and uh, kid care. That's tough to do, um, especially when you're running a business. So that's one thing we'll be talking about as well. But before we get too far into it, uh, for those of you, those of the uh, listeners out there that don't know you or may not know you yet, give us a Reader's Digest of who you are, how you found yourself co-founding Stacks and starting up Loaded. Uh, Yeah. So I grew up in Methuen, um, so not too far. And growing up, I played sports. I grew up in an Italian household, so food was... You know, always the center part, like family supper, um, Sunday suppers with the extended family eating pasta, meatballs and all that stuff. Um, So the culture of food has always been huge in my life. Uh, Just being around in the kitchen, hanging out, watching my mom cook, watching my grandparents cook. um, That was always big. And, uh, you know, from there, my grandfather and his brother's every fall would uh, work at some of the fairs in New Hampshire, selling sausage subs, steak and cheese subs. Um, And they were super busy up there. So, you know, starting when I was like six or seven years old, I'd go up with my brothers and we'd cut peppers and onions all day um, for like seven bucks an hour. (laughs) And, you know, we got to see the back end of, you know, working in the food service. And, you know, we had fun. We'd take the money we'd made and go buy you know, anything we could at the fair, play games and just blow it all. Yeah. You know, that weekend. <laughs> Money's gone. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So, kid. <laughs> yeah. But we'd look forward to it every year. Um, you know, and then got older, went to uh, college, went to Westfield State out in Western Mass. Then from there, uh, would you, so would I went you study for on that? criminal justice. Criminal justice. Yep. The goal was to go into law enforcement. Um, so after I graduated, I was going through the whole interview process, you know, just constant interviews, physical tests, all that stuff. In the meantime, my dad asked me to help him run his business, uh, which was a courier service. So I did that for a few years. And then in the meantime, I was still trying to, you know, pursue that law enforcement dream, uh, which wasn't panning out because I was terrible with interviews. (laughs) Um, And I started a side gig of you know related to the law enforcement industry and you know that side gig snowballed and within a year i had to have the conversation with my wife katrina of like hey 
it's time to, you know, shit or get off the pot. I need to take this full time or just kill it. So I was like, do you want to, you know, quit your job, come work for me. We'll move to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Hmm. uh, where it's a lot more affordable to live and the industry is better. And, you know, um, a month or two later, we were living in Pittsburgh, working full time on our own business. So let's just talk about that quickly. Uh, I, it has something to do with law enforcement or military, something in your, a supplier. So it was, we handcrafted gun holsters. Okay. Um, so they were plastic thermoformed holsters and a lot of it was for military and law enforcement, but also a huge civilian market mm. for that as well. They were all completely custom. Uh, people uh-huh. could select the color, the style, like what handgun it was for. Um, so it got really busy really fast once we, you know, once Katrina brought her marketing expertise and, you know, really helped me out to like get, get the word out there, get the product out there. And I just, you know, made them Yeah. and she did the rest. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun. We learned a lot of lessons, mm-hmm. uh, just work her and I working together and you Still know, basically we working together. Yeah. Yeah. We had this, we had this goal and we were both kind of working towards this goal together and grew together. And it was, you know, it was a lot of fun. Did you have this in like the garage you were making these things or was it, it like- started off in the garage and then we actually, um, upgraded that to a 3000 square foot warehouse. Gotcha. Um, and just, you know, we had a, a public showroom where people could come in, try out stuff, place orders, you know, wow. So for a little while we were, Letting them place the order that day, and I'd just go in the back. I'd make it for them. And, you know, they they leave with a brand new wow, you know, wow. brand new product. So that's amazing. Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. But you know, then we did that for what almost six years down in Pittsburgh. We lived there. We loved that city. It was so much fun living there. Yeah. Uh, great food scene, great bars, great breweries, and you know that's where kind of I got the taste of like how cool restaurants could be Mm. and how cool like that the restaurant industry really is. Um, you know, a lot of the concepts and just the different flavors and fusions of different cultures that we experienced down there. It was just like nothing I'd ever experienced growing up in the Merrimack Valley. Uh, so we ended up COVID hit. We decided to close down, Mm. you know, that business. Why? I uh, just, we had our daughter, um, and the industry was changing. Okay. We just kind of lost our passion for it. Things were getting a lot, you know, a lot more politically charged hmm. and we just saw it as a time like, okay, it's time to move on. Was it like there was, there was gun issues out there and you didn't want to be associated with that anymore or was it something? Totally no, it different? was, it was more the... When it's a when it's an election year, mm-hmm. um, you know that's when it was like, oh, they're coming to take our guns. Yeah. So yeah. all of our customers were just very like charged up, yeah. and it's like if you if their order was delayed, you know we'd get an email or a call like of them freaking out, being like, I'm gonna die one day, and it's gonna be your fault. And it yeah. just yeah. you know dealing with all those things, we were just like, you know what, it's this isn't where what we want to do anymore. So, I think that's really important to for me to understand from you 
where you're coming from. And that's, yeah, that's it. I 100% can agree with that and see that. So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we just, you know, Katrina and I talked and we're like, you know what? I think it's time. Mm -hmm. I don't know what we're going to do, but wow. We just, you know, we'll move home. My, we had some help from my family and, um, we're just like, we'll figure it out. Wow. So from there, um, so we moved back. I, my brother, my younger brother, Paul owned stuffed, which was a Mexican street food in downtown Haverhill. So I asked him, Hey, if I move back, would you be able to give me a job? So he said, yes, this was my first time actually working in a restaurant as an adult. So mm-hmm. I learned really quick. Um, you know, I became the manager there and gave him some time off, which he finally liked after, you know, I think like four or five years of oh. being there you know, every day. And I guess I learned how passionate I was in the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm a creative person and I quickly started just running specials. Be like, hey, I threw this together and, you know, we'd run it on special. And this was in the, at the peak of COVID that I was working there and the lasting room in Haverhill was closed down. And we had heard like, oh yeah, like that spot might be opening up. So I approached, I told, I talked to Katrina and said, you know, I'd really like to open up a restaurant. And I'm like, do you want to? What was the response when you first said, hey, Katrina, I got another crazy (laughs) idea for you. What do you think? (laughs) She's like, well, basically I was like, well, what do you got? Like pitch it. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, you know, I have a pretty good track record with my business ideas. Um, And I said, you know, I think I'll ask Paul if he wants to go in on this because Paul had the network. He, he knew downtown Haverhill. Uh, that was, you know, downtown Haverhill was still new to us at the time. So came up with a concept for stacks. You know, I said, you know, it's kind of like this place back in Pittsburgh. We took like three or four different restaurants and are like, what if we made one restaurant out of all these different, you know, things that we loved about, you know, back there. So, you know, I talked to Paul and got him on board and then you know we talked to my dad and said hey dad what do you think about this so we we got in contact with the landlord and began the long process of trying to buy the lasting room from the lasting room owner so that we could get into that space um and that that was a roller coaster because he didn't want to sell he was hoping that you know covid would kind of finish so that he could open back up um, so a little quick side note, the lasting house, is that what you said? The lasting room. room. Lasting yep. room. Sorry. I'm not from Haverhill area, mm-hmm. but they owned the business, the restaurant right there. Yeah. So did they, they, did they own the building too? No. So they, they had a lease. Okay. And basically what we needed to do was purchase the, just the business mm-hmm. in order to get into that lease. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the landlord said there's like, he couldn't evict him. He just said, well, you got to work with him. You get him to agree, mm-hmm. pay him what he wants to get paid. And then like, well, open up a lease, like start the lease for you guys. So he was still paying his rent. He was still paying monthly, his rent. Yep. But was completely shut down, not doing anything. Yeah. He was shut down for, I think almost a year wow. just wow. paying the rent. That's amazing. I don't know how somebody could do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So, you know, we saw an opportunity and kind of, we jumped at it mm-hmm. and, you know, it's, we figured out a way to make it happen. Yeah. And but you're not in the food industry yet. You're in the, well, you kind of are cause you were working for your brother. Yeah. And, but you now knew that you had to hire cooks or chefs or whatever from here. Were you intimidated? 
buy that part of it? Um, I had no idea what I was doing, but you know, like I said, Paul, um, one of the reasons why I, th- I partnered with him was because he had been working in Haverhill for a while. Gotcha. He, you know, he started his, I think, cooking career in Haverhill. Mm-hmm. So, um, he had a lot of friends. He had a lot of, you know, a lot of people in his network mm-hmm. and he felt confident that he could staff the place and he did a great job. Yeah. You know, we opened up with an amazing, amazing crew. Yeah. Um, you know, we put out some great food and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, there was actually, a, there was a lot of buzz before you guys were even open. So I got to oh, yeah. hand it to the marketing in Katrina. She's, that's her background is marketing, correct? Yes. It, yeah. yeah. She's been doing marketing for like 15 years. now. Was she, she is, involved with that marketing as well or? Yes. Okay. Um, so she was on board kind of like as a social media guru yeah, uh, and marketing. She, you know, when we started posting shakes, she was just like, we're going to post a shake a day for like two weeks and just, you know, it, it blew up because um, those shakes, no one had seen them before and they were, they're, yeah. they're something else. Yeah. I, I'll try to get some pictures into the video about it as well too. Uh, but for those people that haven't visited stacks yet, mm-hmm. give us the concept. Uh, uh, so basically stacks is craft sandwiches, boozy milkshakes, you know, they got 24 beers and ciders on tap and it's just overall a fun atmosphere and okay you know now i'm getting the idea <laughs> yeah so all These the milkshakes man yeah, yeah all the milkshakes come with a full-size dessert on top mm-hmm. so wow uh, and you could add you know uh, add booze to it so yeah um, wow they they cause quite the stir and even better so i'm dairy free so i see these and go god damn it i want those <laughs> they always have like a vegan option on there even like wow. vegan cheesecake on top of a goddamn was, shake was that something that you found in pittsburgh that they were doing was so a lot a couple places in pittsburgh did have um you could add alcohol to a milkshake none of them really had the dessert on top yeah. that's something that we uh first saw in vegas uh-huh. like way back and it was kind of like stuck in the back of our mind when it's like, well, um, you know, anytime we try to open a business now, it's what can we do? What's our unique selling point? Mm-hmm. What, where's the void mm-hmm. and what can we bring? That's going to be different. That's going to set us apart, mm-hmm. you know, cause anyone can go and sell, you know, chicken sandwiches or burgers. What's going to make us mm-hmm. stand out. Mm-hmm. And for stacks, it was the milkshakes. Mm-hmm. It was the over the top boozy milkshakes. Yeah. Good for you. And that's awesome. But everything's going well over at stacks. Things are going great. Apparently you weren't satisfied. You turn around and say, I want to open another restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> All right, Ben, we're taking a little break in the action right now to have a little rep session like we like to do. Yes, sir. Um, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, in the old days, quote unquote, the old days, I used to hear a ton about, I need a tune-up. I'm getting a tune-up. I'm changing my spark plug, yada, 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 yada. I don't hear that too much anymore. Are tune-ups still a real thing? And is it still like the old days where I'm checking the wires, I'm checking the spark plugs, and now I'm good? Right. It used to be, oh, I got to get this thing a tune-up because the fuel mileage is terrible. Um, but now it's, yeah, it's changed. If somebody comes up to me and asks... Um, how much is it for a tune-up? Because that's kind of a, a, a normal question when they call it a mechanic. It's more like, well, let's have a conversation. What do you want to do with this vehicle, first of all? Because if you're just going to trade it in a couple of weeks, then why are we doing any sort of <laughs> maintenance to it or work or anything? Second of all, how many miles? How old is this vehicle? Um, that will actually bring it back to, does it need spark plugs? There's there's plenty of cars that can go 100,000 miles before they need spark plugs. There's other vehicles that can only go 30,000 miles. So it really depends on the car manufacturer. 
Um, so it's more like us just trying to educate um, the customer and find out what the plan is. And, you know, there's a lot of information we try and gather yeah. to educate our customers. Well, actually, are tune-ups only a thing for combustion engines? Yes. Gasoline? So uh, electric vehicles, do you have a... No. No tune-ups. There's not a quote-unquote tune-up to it. There's still some services that need to be done. There's still f- some fluids that need to be changed. There's still taking the tires and rotating those around. Um, there's still brakes. There's still suspension. But the tune-up, the classic tune-up, is no longer going to be used in that conversation. Very great interesting. Question. Yeah. Interesting. So um, when I am driving my electric car around, there is less moving parts. Too. So we're going to have to change our businesses pretty soon as mechanics and how people are educated on tune-ups. Mm. But, um, you know, I had a side note. If I was going to drive my new Tesla up to my cabin on the lake, um, you know, there's a lot of people that are opening up their summer homes and things like that. Um, Insurance-wise, what are some of those things that we have to worry about as far as those summer homes and things? Well, the main thing is the home itself. You need, you need a policy for that, similar to your homeowner's policy uh, that needs to cover you for the structure as well as the liability. If people are showing up to your uh, place and you don't want them to get injured there and not be covered. Uh, so those types of things. But at that cabin, you probably have... Um, "Quote unquote toys there. there yes, I do. Boats and jet skis and all the things. Um, all of those have specific policies that should be on them. Uh, now I shouldn't say all of them because some boats, um, based on their length and their horsepower of their engine, can be covered under the homeowner's policy. I- ironically enough, same deal with the jet skis. Um, sometimes the liability gets a little tricky on those. So there are situations where." They need their own policy. Um, so as I always say on here, a little disclaimer, um, speak to your local insurance agent. Uh, make sure that they're insured properly. And if you don't have one, you're dealing with one of those national companies, give me a call. Uh, but again, speak to an independent agent. They'll speak to you um, about what you should have in place there. But Perfect. Yeah. So get those boats and jet skis insured because it is getting warm out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't wait. Awesome. All right, Ben, what do you say we get, jump back into this interview? Yeah, let's do it. Everything's going well over at Stacks. Things are going great. Apparently, you weren't satisfied. You turn around and say, I want to open another restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, had more ideas. You know, I have a constant, you know, loop of ideas in my head that it's like, oh, you know, I get the itch to, you know, start something new. Yeah. Um, again, noticing voids in the market and figuring out, you know, this is this is something that's needed. And Again, talked to Katrina and said, hey, I have this idea. Um, You know, the spot we're loaded is. um, That was going to be a prep kitchen for stacks. Okay. Um, So we were just paying paying the rent on that. We were converting it. And it was just something that wasn't going to make us money. It was just going to be something to make our lives easier. And Mm -hmm. our prep cooks would have more space to, you know, prep and um, stock up the food, but we got to a point. It's like, well, what if, what if we use that spot to make money? Um, uh, so I, you know, talked to Katrina, I talked to, you know, my dad and my brother and said, Hey, I have this idea. And then loaded was born. And we actually in December, uh, so this conversation happened in November, I think of last year. And then in December I was approached and, you know, my dad offered to buy me out of stacks and, you know, I could focus on loaded full time. Katrina and I got loaded um, out of the deal, and 
uh, among some other things. And, you know, Katrina and I were happy because we could do things our way. Yeah. Um, you, know, you mean like not a partnership now correct. you have it's, to go in front of everybody and say, okay, we want to add this to the menu or whatever you were talking about. Now you guys have this solely. And yeah. Say, yeah. Yeah. And Katrina and I have been working together for long enough where we're really on the same page with a lot of things. And yeah. we like to pivot really quick if we notice something isn't working. And when you have a lot of partners and a lot of different, you know, personalities and hands in there, it's, it can be tough to make those changes on the fly. Sure. Uh, but for Katrina and I, we're just like, yeah, this would be so much fun. Like, let's do it. It's scary. Um, you know, branching out on our own again, but, um, we knew it was time to you know, switch things up yet again. So this is four months ago. Uh, yeah, no, this was literally, this was this past. Yeah. And so now what is loaded? So loaded is, um, you know, loaded comfort food. We do loaded baked potatoes, mashed potatoes, French fries, and mac and cheese. Mm -hmm. Um, so any of our entrees, you know, we have Buffalo chicken, chicken, bacon, ranch, all this stuff. And you choose your base of those. So you can get the Buffalo chicken on a baked potato or Buffalo chicken on mashed potatoes. Wow. All that stuff. Okay. And the thing that really sets us apart, you know, you can go most places and get a loaded fry or stuff like that or mac and cheese. Um, we brought loaded Korean street corn dogs, to Haverhill. Um, <laughs> what is that? That facial so, expression was fantastic. What? <laughs> so basically, unlike an American corn dog, which mm-hmm. is just, you know, a, a hot dog dipped in basically this cornmeal batter, mm-hmm. um, Korean corn dogs are usually like either mozzarella, all hot dog, or like a half and half. Okay. Um, and then it's rolled in a yeasted wheat flour batter um and then rolled in like panko or like diced potatoes or sometimes fruity pebbles and then deep fried so it's you know it's crunchy it's you do have a lot of ideas yeah so (laughs) then we're like okay how can we take this idea and you know put our own spin on it so i'm like well let's load it with toppings yeah so um instead of just you know this plain you know korean corn dog uh we're like well let's do you know, a buffalo chicken one or like a, a bacon ranch or mm-hmm. we have all these different flavors. Um, I think we have 10 different. How'd you learn um, how styles. to do that? Uh, YouTube. Oh, just yeah. Just trial and error. Sure. Yeah. We just, you know, we, the idea comes first and then how do we do it comes after. Wow. And, cool. Uh, basically, we committed to this idea without ever having made one. Uh-huh. Uh, we've had them before and it's just like, well, it's time to it learn. Out. Yeah. Wow. Time to learn. So figure it out. It- and he's being a little bit humble here too. He talks, "Oh, it's a it's a buffalo dog." Well, the buffalo dog is smothered in all this stuff, and even they smash up takis and taki dust all over him. It's yeah, it's wow. amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're delicious. Yeah, they're really good. So, I mean, let, real quickly, we're specifically, we would go there and have one. Is this like a meal, or is it more like you have a couple of them? How big are these things? I mean, they're I mean, it's a hot dog or mozzarella. I mean. Some people go and have one and then also get an entree. Yeah. Other people go and get three corn dogs. Yeah. Um, really, everyone's different. Some gotcha. people will, you know, after or if they know they're going out drinking, they'll stop by for a corn dog before or after the bars. Um, so it's good because we're located right on the parking lot side uh-huh. of the building. Um, so everyone's different. Cool. Yeah. Well, fat guy over here, I'll tell you what I do is I get. What do you do, John? I get the buffalo dog. No ranch because dairy free. And then I, uh, uh, 
what else do I do? Oh, it's all beef, no cheese on it. And then I get a side of fries. Mm-hmm. And usually split those with my son or daughter when we go. But it's usually four dogs around the table for us and then some kind of fry or wow. something like that. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm easy. I always do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. That's, that's my deal. <laughs> yeah. It's always the buffalo beef dog. Yes. It, damn good. Damn good. <laughs> it, it is funny, though, when I go in there and I, I usually do my Instagram posts. Uh, Katrina usually messaged me right after. It's like, you guys support us like more than anybody else. And yeah. similar to Amesbury Foreign Auto, I spend yeah. too much money in one place. It's so. true. <laughs> you always get the same thing, tires. Yes, always tires, <laughs> always tires. Um, what thing, Anthony, you, you uh, alluded to a little bit, and I'm very curious about this. Um, you were converting over the test uh, or the, the side kitchen, the prep kitchen. Yeah, the kitchen. prep kitchen. You were converting that over. That space previously was like a hair salon. Yes. There's probably a lot of challenges for a restaurant to take a hair salon with how it's built out to then like convert it to be able to use for a restaurant. Talk to me about that. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely challenges there, but the good thing is there's plenty of plumbing for hair salons. Yeah. So for the plumbers to hook up, it wasn't that big of a job because they could, you know, however many sinks, I think they were like, six sinks um in the salon before so they didn't have to move like run a lot of plumbing to you know all the way in the back so that was good uh but you know coming up with the overall design the hoods uh because we're in the ground floor to run hoods all the way up to the roof of the building would have cost i think over a hundred thousand dollars um so we had to get creative there we found some ventless hoods um, to kind of avoid that, which were about half the price and, you know, just we figured out a way to, a way to do it. And, you know, then figuring out, okay, if this is going to be its own restaurant, how much space do we want for the kitchen and how much space do we want for, you know, dining? And we just figured, well, let's try to, you know, with how the restaurant industry is right now, there's a huge focus on takeout and delivery with, Uber Eats, DoorDash. So I thought, let's overbuild the kitchen. Let's have more space than we need right now. And, you know, we'll just have a small dining area. Because um, we figured most people were going to want to take their food out. Uh, we were wrong about that. <laughs> Tables fill up really fast and people will wait um, for a table to open up. They'll order their food and say, you know, we'll wait for a table. And usually it works out pretty quick because yeah. people don't stick around for long. We don't have a liquor license or anything. So um, usually by the time they finish up, we clean the table. There's another person sitting down and right as their food's coming out. Mm-hmm. So it's it's worked out really well. But, yeah, we have a lot of room for, um, you know, those third-party deliveries. We've been making a killing there, and we just we want to keep going and really leaning into that aspect of you know, the restaurant industry. Um, You brought up a good point there with the third-party deliveries. Um, I have some friends in in the industry as well. They struggle with some of the fees that Uber charges and some of the other fees that come along, DoorDash. Um, How do you combat that? So what we need to do is uh, DoorDash will charge us 30% commission, Mm -hmm. which is usually that profit. Um, So you make nothing if you don't do anything. Correct. Yeah. Like it's basically a way to go through more product, need more people. And if you don't make any changes, then yes, you will basically be doing all that extra work for, you know, a couple extra bucks. But what we do on third party is we almost offset the cost 
we will raise our prices through those third party to because our costs are then higher mm. so we have a certain uh when figuring out the pricing we don't just say like oh this sounds like a 15 dollar thing people will be happy to pay that no like what really goes into it is you need to look at your costs and understand like all right we want our food cost to be at this mm-hmm. um and what i did is kind of said like okay well that commission is going to kind of go into the food cost so that we're now those meals are costing us more to make so we're going to offset that and the customer ends up paying more um, through those convenient yeah websites so walk me through it because i don't do doordash i don't know much about it at all but i'm guessing that what you're saying is if i ordered my food through doordash to loaded is that how it works do i go to doordash to order yeah food so or? if you you would have it you would download the doordash app or uber Eats, okay and all the stores that are within your radius basically would come gotcha. up that are part of that that have an account set up with them and you would say like oh i want to order loaded and then you'd go through the menu all the prices are listed and you'd select what you want mm-hmm. and hit you know send or order place order and then however long after you'd get a message saying like your order's been confirmed right your driver is on their way to pick up the food your driver has picked up the food right. and is on your way and you can see on the map where they are delivering your food gotcha um, so it's really simple. It's really convenient. Um, but, you know, DoorDash has a lot of, but all third parties have a lot of like hidden fees and sure. stuff like that. that they got to get paid. Yeah. You know, they have, a, they're providing a service. They're sure. providing convenience. Sure. Um, so their prices are actually a little bit more than if I came to your store directly or your restaurant directly and ordered it and correct. picked it up and left. Correct. Gotcha. Um, so we always recommend, like, especially if you live in Haverhill, we say like, hey, order through us. We, yeah. we, pro- we have drivers that'll go to you it's like a five dollar delivery fee mm-hmm. pay our menu prices and save some money but for the people that are outside of Haverhill a little bit further away yeah uh, this is how you get our food delivered completely makes sense yes. convenience so, fee basically yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah you're paying for the convenience yeah. and that's what it comes down to totally makes sense yeah. Uh, but yeah seeing you know seeing the prices on those parties it's like wow that's expensive but yeah. then people will come in and be like oh I thought you were way more expensive than right. this and then just explaining like, oh yeah, prices through those, yeah, those are a little bit more. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, I just want to go back to that conversion situation again. Yeah. So if other restaurateurs are out there and they have a commercial real estate agent that are showing them different spaces and it's always uh, restaurant spaces, mm-hmm. would you recommend having them look at atypical spots like a hair salon? Maybe it's a good place to start. It depends on your capital um, and how much you're willing to do. Uh, because a lot of the times you will have to have an architect or have someone come in to design the whole floor plan. There's a lot more to do um, in order to convert it compared to saying, oh, this pizza shop closed down. It's basically turnkey. All you have to do is new paint and, you know, it's ready to go. So in terms of working with the city and health inspectors, building inspectors, if you're not willing to do all that or you don't really know what you're doing, I would suggest getting, you know, a restaurant space but um you know if you if you do know what you're doing or you do have the resources then yeah get creative what about the landlord too doesn't that have a lot to do with it if you're buying it that's one thing but if you're leasing it then the landlord has a lot to say yeah so the landlord would be able to say like no i don't want a kitchen i don't want hoods going up or or i don't want to be used for this uh usually it would fall on the tenant got it um and some landlords will work with you and 
you know, if you're, if it's something permanent, some may, but most of them are going to say like, Oh, if you want to convert it, you're paying for it. Yeah. And then a lot of the times if you put a hood in that hood's going to stay when you, yeah, leave. you don't get to, take yeah, you don't take it down yeah. with you cause it was built for that space. Right. So, um, usually you'd want to make sure you have a nice long lease, mm-hmm. you know, at least, you know, five to 10 years in that spot because it's a big investment to convert it all. What about, um, fire suppression, the sprinklers or something like that? I don't know. If, I mean, what do you so, need to do with the restaurant? You need a, a lot. lot of, yeah. Um, you know, the, you work very closely with the building inspectors, the yeah. health inspectors, make sure everything's, you know, up to code. Then there's also fire inspectors. They'll come in and make sure that, you know, all your equipment is positioned properly under the Ansel system in the hoods. Um, and if you have any equipment that should be under the hood that isn't, they'll let you know. And, you know, they make sure everything is where The insurance companies be. raise a lot of noise about that, too. Yeah, I'm Guilty. Sure. Guilty. We, yeah. We cause problems about that, mm-hmm. but for good reason. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want to make sure, you know, and then on top of that, there's a recurring cost of getting the hoods cleaned and serviced and inspected and mm-hmm. all your fire extinguishers. There's, there's a lot to running the business that, you know, it's, it's not thought of mm-hmm. until it's happening. And, you know, even now I've been, you know, with stacks, I was never on the like back end, like business end of things. I was more creative and shakes and all that stuff and social media with Katrina and now it's like all of this is falling on us so there's a lot that I'm learning with this of like oh I didn't do that yet okay like mm-hmm. there's you know all the bills piling up it's like okay gotta get to those it's you know there's there's just so much that you're not aware of until you're kind of in it how about you and your wife how is that going you guys still work together do you have a wall that separates you like my <laughs> wife and I we have the shop and then we have the office do you guys have any uh, sort of boundaries so- we we pretty much wrote swap off with our schedules because we have the three kids at home. Mm. Um, so a lot of the times Katrina will be in certain days, like earlier in the day, and then I'll come in for the dinner rush. And you know, do you see each other? Well, I guess that's the next question. <laughs> yeah, so we're cl- we're currently closed Sundays and Tuesdays, so okay. those are family days. Um, and then you know we'll spend time together in the morning, or and then usually when I get home from work, everyone's asleep, so. <laughs> And then I'm up in the middle of the night with the kids. Yeah. So that's fun. And time-wise, I know restaurant owners, they have no, like it's always, you're always at the restaurant. Is that true? Um, I mean, what's the schedule like? What's You wake up at what time and then you go to sleep at what time? And what do you do just to make sure the business runs? Um, so usually I have people, most days I have someone there at 8 to kind of get stuff you know, started. They'll start prep. I'll typically be in, Katrina and I will typically be in around 9.30 mm-hmm. um, to kind of get the rest of the stuff started. Um, I will stay, on a day that I work, I'll stay from 9.30 to maybe 10.30 wow. that night. I go mm-hmm. home, That's I'm in lot. bed by you know 11.30, then I'm getting up with the baby when she's mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. So lately I've been working on about four to five hours of sleep a night. The grind. It is, but it's temporary. And that's what we keep reminding ourselves. And, you know, the main thing is getting, you know, a solid staff in place so that we are able to take some time away. And what's the vision? Sorry to step on your toes. I was just going to ask that damn question. I'm asking it. (laughs) You know, I guess our vision is it could go multiple ways, you know, just with all the ideas I have and Katrina has is do we franchise and open up multiple locations of loaded, um, or do we open up a different concept 
and another restaurant and it's just every day we're back and forth i'm like well which way do we go so i'm sure the universe will kind of and you're only four months guide in. us yeah thinking about that Good for you. yeah so it's uh yeah we're always even before we open loaded we're like what are we going to do next mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so it's just constant it's yeah. all we talk about um you guys are visionaries so, you really are yeah uh, and i totally see the franchise model working because it, it it's simple but unique mm-hmm. uh, where most people that try to franchise it's overcomplicated. you couldn't get somebody else to do the same way you do it mm-hmm. with your concept i think man loaded everywhere in the country yeah I, I that would be amazing it. yeah <laughs> so um yeah who knows what we'll be in five years with that it's we we don't try to plan out too far in advance because every time we have we don't end up anywhere near you know that five-year plan we're right. not linear people we've we're we're kind of all over the place so what do you call it like the second one loaded again <laughs> what you, what's the next one called well what we did is like this one's like loaded haverhill uh, um just in case like all the mark all the graphics everything is like loaded haverhill mm-hmm. so if we open up say like loaded andover or mm-hmm. loaded boston who knows yeah and um, the graphics too i'm impressed by so your little guy i forget what his <laughs> zooty zooty astronaut it's a little astronaut mm-hmm. but he's wearing a belt that says lfg so my kids Naturally, because I'm a terrible parent, they're, hey, it's, let's go. Oh. <laughs> but it's not. It's Loaded oh. Food Group. So, okay. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's our great, corporation. Uh, yep. I love it. I love it. That's good. That's, yeah. that's why my kids are always, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, thinking about those babies, you got three beautiful babies. Mm-hmm. What do you want them, your legacy, when they're looking back at you and Katrina, what do you want them to think about mom and dad? One, that we were great parents, that we were always there for them and, you know, giving them the space to be themselves, not placing our expectations on them, but just kind of us giving them a container to just explore the world, explore themselves and just be who they are. Uh, But also for them to see us just going after what we want and taking the risk, working together and always growing together Mm. instead of like you know katrina has her career i have mine and you know we come together for like family time no it's always like we're doing this together um work is also kind of family time for us and you know there are days where katrina and i both have to be at the restaurant so you know the two older ones are washing dishes (laughs) and just using up all the soap and (laughs) one of us is holding the baby and um you know, a lot of a lot of the older generation in the restaurant, they will say like, oh, yeah, you know, when we opened up 20 years ago, we were in the same plate. We had the pack and play, mm-hmm. you know, for the baby right next to the window. And, you know, you do what you got to do. And that's what we're doing. That's awesome. So, uh, in terms of that, you, you've mentioned your dad, you've mm-hmm. mentioned your brother. Who are other like coaches or mentors in the area that have really formed you and shaped you? I, I don't think there's anyone in the area that has really formed me. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I learned a lot living in Pittsburgh and experiencing that, that restaurant culture. And the year we left the Pittsburgh um, in 2019, they were actually named the 
um, number one food city in America. Really? Yes. You wouldn't know it. Wow. Highly suggest visiting. Okay. It's great food. Um, just a great city overall. And it's small. It's, it's really cool. A lot of personality. Um, so I got a lot of inspiration there, but in terms of like what's molded me, it's just kind of going more within Mm. and going, I went through, you know, a huge self help and self growth journey. Um, and just, you know, I inspired to find my true self and just live that instead of aspiring to be like someone else. Mm. Um, and it's not always easy. It's, uh, you know, there's some rolling in the mud, you know, through all that, but you know, we've come out, both Katrina and I have come out so much stronger than we were, you know, just five or six years ago. You know, I've hit rock bottom multiple times, but we always bounce back up and we're resilient. And, uh, you know, we try to make sure we're always learning lessons from, you know, the world around us and from our own mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, to answer your question, there's no one that stands out as who I aspire to be. It's more of just like finding me and, you know, really leaning into that. I, I freaking love that. Mm-hmm. And you had a post the other day on Instagram. I, I don't know when this will be coming out, um, but you were talking about some of those dark moments and you talked about, was it fasting Tuesdays or something like that? Or Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it's powerful, man. So Yeah. I yeah, don't know if you want to share a little bit about that post or... Well, yeah. Um, basically, when we you know, kind of branched off originally and moved to Pittsburgh and, you know, focused on, you know, our dream of, you know, running, running the holster business. It, uh, we struggled for a while, you know, luckily it was just Katrina and I, um, we didn't have any kids to support and, you know, we were so broke that we were like, oh, well on Tuesdays we won't eat to save money on groceries. Wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we'd just go all day Tuesday without eating. And, wow. Um, yeah, we, we struggled a lot and that's you know, why we got it's through it. called loaded now because <laughs> we're going to, every day, baby, we're going to load up, fill yeah. it up again. <laughs> yeah, pretty wow. much. But yeah, we, you know, we've struggled. We've, uh, you know, we've been on public assistance. We've, we've been through it. We've experienced the highs and the lows and, you know, we've mismanaged our money in the past and we've made our mistakes and learned from that. And, you know, we're just trying to do things right and mm-hmm. you know be a good example for our kids yeah so well, i think you're doing a great job on that end yeah uh, sounds thank you amazing. thank you you are definitely you're talking about the highs and the lows i don't think you've hit the highest high yet you are still on the upward swing right here yeah, yeah. thank you um if other business owners want to learn from you or people want to learn about uh loaded and all of that how do they reach out to you um my personal Instagram is the primal food dude. Um, primal food dude. Yeah. So <laughs> you can find me there. Um, uh, send me a message or just comment. Um, uh, I'm very open. I'm very transparent. I like sharing my experiences and, um, so if somebody was like just looking to get into the restaurant business, you wouldn't mind them just hitting you up and just saying, Hey, Anthony, um, what advice would you give to somebody thinking about opening their own place? today right now what would be one piece of advice that's a great question um i'd ask do you really want it and do you have the support uh because if you are going to do it do it right um uh, don't just have an idea and not have the means to accomplish it you know do you have the funding 
do you have like do you have to secure a loan and if so is that loan going to be enough for your vision um because i'd hate for them to open up just to like enter the you know the daily grind of 16 hours a day to barely break even and um you know you don't want to open up a place that's just like the place next door it's like i guess do you have the funding is your concept different what's your unique selling point and what are you bringing to the area so, dad i love it I thank you freaking love that yeah anthony just thank you so much for oh, coming thanks out. for having I me a blast man yeah, i don't know about great. you ben i <laughs> can't wait to check out the korean corn dog yeah they're phenomenal what are you doing for lunch today? <laughs> <laughs> Finding out what's in Haverhill because I don't know anything in Haverhill, but first place I'm going is loaded. Yeah. Um, again, Anthony, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for sharing the story and being so authentic and transparent about everything too. I think that's important to the business owners that are, are listening here too. So with that, I say, Ben, we wrap this one up and we save it for the next one. All, all right? right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, right, Anthony. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Anthony. <laughs> This has been another episode of Voices from the Valley. If you'd like to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest, send us an email at voicesfromthevalleyshow at gmail.com. Want to learn more about Ben Talberg and Amesbury Foreign Auto? Head over to amesburyforeignauto.com or call 978-388-5959. Want to learn more about John Bachman and Norwood Insurance Agency? Head over to norwoodinsurance.com or call 978-372-5921. Thanks for tuning in to Voices from the Valley.